Viewpoint. Welcome to Viewpoint. Now, it's just been over a year since Anwar Ibrahim was sworn in as the country's 10th Prime Minister, or PMX as he's called, in November 2022. What have been the strengths and weaknesses of his premiership so far and what do Malaysians make of his first year as Prime Minister? Malaysia Bureau Chief Shannon Teo from The Straits Times joins us on Viewpoint. Shannon, great to have you with me on the show. Good to be here. Now, before we get into Malaysia PM Anwar Ibrahim's first year at the helm of a multi-coalition government, what is the status of Malaysia's reformasi? Is it going according to plan or has it changed somewhat? <laughs> if you're talking about uh, true blue, hard and sleeve reformers, then no, obviously not. They might even argue that it has been a regressive year mm. rather than a progressive year. Just last week, you know, as you were writing about, coming about to this anniversary, thinking about what are the themes all of a sudden, the Home Ministry raids a, a bookshop and seizes books allegedly for having communist elements. Now, this is not the first time they've gone after books, they've gone after watches. It's all these sort of things which on one hand, you know, we talk about reforms, but then what are the things happening aside with reforms? Some of them actually appear to be regressive. But, and there's always a but, I mean, <laughs> if you're talking about the Prime Minister himself and his own inner circle, you know, they'll say that, yeah, there's been some setbacks, there's been some mistakes, but largely it's going according to plan. You know, mm-hmm. they say Rome wasn't built in a day, you know, and uh, that was basically the substance of Anwar's speech over the weekend. He had a party congress, his own ruling party, and, and no doubt it was time to coincide the anniversary. Now, he makes an argument that the PH government, the Pakatan Harapan government of 2018, and even invokes the French Revolution. He's saying that the elites then were rushing into it. That ended up being counterproductive. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of telling of the state of political gymnastics going on, right? Imagine five years ago if Anwar had said the same thing, that he was going to accuse a Mahade government of being too reformist. So it's this sort of strange kind of language that, that is you know, making things very puzzling for Malaysians, especially for those who are itching for reforms in that sense. So on the one hand, the pace of reform, you know, you can say it's fast, it's slow, so on and so forth, but I think it's the other end of, of the spectrum. is the regressive act that are only exacerbating the sense that Anwar is trying to survive, and that survival trumps everything else. So at this point in time, what do you think is his strategy to get re-elected? Well, in interviews, he says that uh, what he's pursuing is equitable, basically making sure that all Malaysians uh, have, have a share of the pie, right? Mm-hmm. That's the narrative uh, that, is, that is rolling up, you know, and saying that basically if you can uh, overcome the economic anxieties of the Malay Muslim majority, then you start kind of what you might call the ethno-nationalism of their few, right? And these are largely the, the guys in uh, the opposition of Pekata National, which are largely made out of two main mm-hmm. kind of uh, Malay nationalist parties. Right. But if you come back to the first question, if you ask Anwar in private, right, look back at your first year, he would say it was a great success, right? Mm-hmm. There was no shortage of people who were counting how long would his government last. They were counting in months rather than years. So here he is, he survived the first year, and more and more it's looking like he will last a full term, right? And that's probably the key backbone of his entire political strategy. He has to reform and change things if and when you can, but above all things, keep your parliamentary majority at a healthy level. Now, he has more than a, a two-thirds majority, thanks to you know a, a handful of opposition MPs kind of declaring support for him in exchange for constituency allocation, right? You know, it's, it's quite likely that what he wants to see is that by the time the next general election rolls by, 
that the status is really crippled. That kind of leaves no real alternative to his government because while past is strong, the general sense across the country is that we don't want a past prime minister. Right? That's still not something which is in a kind of a mainstream um, political imagination, as it were. So if he can cripple the statue by then, then the question of electability becomes a very simple one. You have to go with the coalition that has PKL, which has UMNO, so on and so forth, because they are kind of more centrist in that sense. Mm. Now, let's touch a little bit on uh, the economy. What is your take on the current FDI focus? Now, Arno has experience taking charge of Malaysia's finances in addition to the many cabinet portfolios he held even before he became the current PM. So what is the FDI strategy here? Is it just accepting money or is there a focus to it? I think the language is that it's all geared towards high technology, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the very more, more visible kind of optics is Anwa or various ministers meeting with people from Google, people from Tesla, people from Amazon, all these kind of sexy kind of tech names, right? That, mm-hmm. That's the kind of optics that you see. Yes. But that's not going to be like more than 50% of the FDI coming. It's going to be still a very small portion you know, the bread and butter is still things like semiconductors so and so forth. Um, and, and sometimes the name of those companies aren't so sexy, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. at best, you get things like Intel, Infineon, AMD. You go down the line and they start to, to sound a bit more esoteric. Mm. But I think generally, Malaysia is not going to say no to almost any kind of FDI. As long as it exists within a, the existing regulatory framework, right, with respect to environmental and so forth. I mean, if you look at how we backpedal on Linux, for example, the mm-hmm. Australian Rare Earth Company, mm-hmm. uh, we have very strict rules about by which and when they must ensure that the operations are radiation-free. But now they've just been given another three-year extension to it. We keep kicking the can down the road. We've bent the rules for Tesla. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the only com- car company that can import their cars without needing a tire permit, right? They're just openly allowing them to, to bring in the cars. And we've also kind of broken away from the norms of transparency and governance, you know, in a bit to entice away. Uh, this regard to IG infrastructure, the, the language being used by Anwar is that there need not be an open tender, as, as usually is the case, and that Huawei is more than welcome to come and be the vendor provider for our second 5G network. So things like that are happening. Mm-hmm. And it's still a game of big numbers and big names, right? Sexy names, big numbers. Right. I think every time he goes to the US and to China, things like that, you see the announcement of however many tens of billions or even hundreds of billions of ringgit in uh, MOUs. Now, I would say you would usually have to be very naive to believe that those numbers are going to be realized. And it's not just this government, it's any government, right? Mm-hmm. The MOUs, you know, they don't always pan out. So there is this sense of, let's say the political element, still the optics, right, that you need to announce big numbers due to big names, you know, and, and that's kind of convincing the populace that you are going in there, doing your job, and because you are unwise by him or, or whoever, be, even before him that because of how respected you are, these investments are coming in. Mm. Speaking of which, uh, in terms of the geopolitics in relation to China and the US and Mm. Malaysia's stance, um, Adwa has actually recently shared publicly, if I'm not wrong, in a question and answer session at the University of California, that Malaysia is friends with both the US and China. Interestingly, though, he said, we're not tilting to China. We happen to be geographically closer. What do you make of that? <laughs> you know, he also did mention some things. I think they were quite telling. In kind of diplomatic speak, 
uh, even the small hints, uh, you know, people kind of dissect your language and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I think he mentioned somehow that when they're doing business, for example, and contrasting how things work with China versus uh, Western powers or the US directly, he used to say that China has no condition in the sense that if you want to do a deal, we just do a deal. There is no kind of, okay, we deal with you, but then we must do ABCDE, right? He's mm-hmm. kind of implying that uh, with the US or with the Western powers, there is this sense of if you deal with us, then you know, you can't let China in, you can't do this sort of things, right? They have a bit more of a Cold War mentality. It's mm-hmm. kind of indicating that with China, that's not the case. It's a lot more straightforward, it's a lot more based on the business model. That was what he was kind of indicating, and kind of justifying why for Malaysia, and this dates back even from before his time, there's a kind of a openness to doing business with China that there isn't, perhaps not as open with doing business with, with the Western world. Now, it's not really a huge policy departure. It's always been the case, right? In Malaysia, mm. it's a sense that, it, it, so what you're saying is correct, that China is closer, but not just geographically. I think that the business side, the business culture is also closer. Mm. And it's also quite a fair bit in the optics of it, right? We haven't actually changed any kind of policy. We haven't actually said that, oh, if it's Chinese FBI, then... Yeah, we just let it in and, and we just close our eyes or anything. But it's more the language and the posturing. It's that we can kind of, you know, walk down this bar and go together holding hands, you know. With the U.S., it's a bit more behind closed doors in a sense because of this whole Palestine situation. Our leaders can't really be seen being very chummy with U.S. leaders. So that kind of puts an obstruction in kind of making ties closer. You don't actually have to worsen the ties, but it's it's very difficult to be very visible in terms of how charming you can be with, with, with American leaders. So, again, very little chance of major policy departure. Mm-hmm. It, it's, again, a lot about the optics. You know, the U.S., people sometimes forget that it is Malaysia's... It's still our top investor. China might be our top trade partner, mm-hmm. but the U.S. is our top foreign investor and probably our most important strategic defense partner. Mm-hmm. It's just someone you can't do without with the U.S. You can't just Overnight, say they're going to cut ties. That's not going to be tenable. So it's kind of like with the U.S., you're kind of saying, hey, you know, you can't talk to us that way. You can't treat our brothers, our family in Palestine that way. But yet, you can still pay for dinner. <laughs> Very interesting. Now, back in Malaysia, what is the sentiment like? What do Malaysians feel about the government or Anwar, whom they've been waiting for years and years to lead them? Well, you know, just after he took power, when you look at approval ratings, you look at the polling, he did poll about 68%, and that was pretty healthy back then. The most recent numbers, and it's coinciding with the anniversary, is that he's running at 50%, exactly 50%. His government it's slightly below that, a few percentage points below that. So this is not really surprising because, you know, we had a major uh, state poll uh, for six states in, in August, and it was kind of billed as a midterm or referendum. And the popular vote split about 50-50 between the government and the opposition. Mm. So Anwar scoring 50% is, is not surprising. It's this kind of, you know, that was the numbers that was at the state elections as well. So basically quantified it in saying that there's a fair bit of disgruntlement. I think people are murmuring rather than angry. They are kind of wondering, so when do we see the magic, right? Mm. All this stuff that Anwar has been promising for over two decades. Um, and people are expressing it at the polls, right? You've seen the scorecard as it were at, at the state polls. 
but the picture could be very different by the time we reach, say, 2027, ahead of the next general election. Now, that had to happen by February 2028. So, you know, the question I think that we are, we are going to try and answer as we go along this, the Anwar years, as it were, is whether people, no matter how disappointed they're going to be with this unity government, uh, Anwar's unity government, are they really ready to hand power to Pekata National? Which, it has to be said, you know, they've done better to show how they could govern better than the Anwar administration. You know, so I think at best, one thing that could happen is Anwar supporters, Pakatan supporters, not turning up at the next election. They're disappointed enough that they don't want to vote for Pakatan. I don't think they go so far as to vote for Pakatan, right? So in the opinion polls, I mean, in the, in the last poll that came out this month, it wasn't that there was a further drop in Malay support that dragged Anwar down from 68% to 50%. It was from non-Malays, the, the kind mm. of core support group for Pakatan. The people that were disappointed, but even at the state elections, they didn't go across and vote for Pakatan. That didn't happen. So it, it could likely happen again in 2028, but in bigger numbers. Now, I don't know where is the line in the sand, right? Like how many of Pakatan supporters need to stay home for there to be a huge <laughs> shift in terms of parliamentary seats, right? But that could happen, right? That could happen. So they could find it difficult to vote for Pakatan, but they will still decide that the whole Pakatan unity government thing just isn't worth it. And, you know, um, this remains to be seen. So the sentiment, I think, coming back to the original question, is mixed, right? 50 50 kind of, kind of mixed. Um, but, you know, Anwar got four years from now. Mm. Policy-wise, kind of very unclear, kind of shaky for this first year. But it's got a long runway ahead of it. There isn't a huge kind of uh, political challenge coming up uh, in these next few years. So I think the message is we've been reading a lot of different op-eds out there as well. There is time to deliver. Mm. Now's the time for Anwar. All right. Thank you very much, Shannon, for sharing your viewpoints on Money FM 89.3. Welcome. Appreciate your insights and time. Shannon Teo there, The Straits Times' Malaysia Bureau Chief. Viewpoint.